Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. So hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the EHE podcast. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Charlotte Ashton from a business called The Implicit. I won't try and give a background to it. I'm going to head straight over to you, Charlotte. So thank you very much for joining us. Welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Could you give us a little bit of information about your background and your business just to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. So my background, I'm an accountant by qualification. I worked in corporate finance for a number of years and then I joined a private equity fund. I was working in London and came back to Manchester to join a private equity fund called Palatai. And my role at that fund, having worked whilst at Grant Thornton in London with lots of well, across a combination of kind of owner-managed businesses in the SME sector, but then also working with large corporates to help them develop their buy-side strategy in terms of going out to market and finding relevant businesses for them to acquire. I then joined Palatine as they'd raised their second fund in 2014 um, to help them to define their go-to-market strategy in terms of how they were going to deploy their funds of investment. So typically Palatine has 150 million Fund would invest checks of between 10 and probably between 10 and 30 million in businesses that were making more than 2 million EBITDA. That was the point that got involved. And over the next eight years, I was involved in, in, in supporting them in raising additional funds, one of which was an impact focused fund, which means that it looks for businesses that are solving a, a environmental or a social problem through the products and services that are selling. And through that, those various roles and, and, and kind of market making and, and identifying businesses for us to invest into, the lead time's quite long. So they've just invested in business that, you know, I, I originated maybe four or five years ago. So I would be meeting and building relationships with these management teams over quite a long period of time. And often what I was doing was signposting them and helping them to understand, you know, who's the right investor for them at that point in time, giving them a bit of guidance around what they would need to do to become more investable. And it was becoming more and more common that those businesses were asking me to provide more support, which I obviously couldn't do in the role that I was as an investor because I couldn't be objective. And I spent quite a lot of time looking for organizations that could support those businesses and kind of go in and help them to define what it was they needed to do and more importantly, to implement that so that when they came to exit to either an investor or to a strategic, they were in a position where they were going to retain as much value as possible. Um, I just couldn't find that organization. And after a lot of soul searching, you know, having really enjoyed the time that I spent at Palatine, I actually felt there was more of an exciting opportunity to to work with businesses who were kind of in the pre-private equity space and um, to support them through investment and exit readiness. And that's that's what I do today. Brilliant. Thank you. All the best businesses are born out of a, a genuine problem, aren't they? It was something I was listening to with born out uh, of frustration, yeah. Yeah, or frustration. Yeah. So so interesting. So when you talk about exit readiness, what what do you mean? What stage should a founder be thinking about exit readiness? Most stages in reality. And and actually I spend a bit more time rather than kind of talking about, you know, when are you gonna sell, who you're gonna sell to, how much you're gonna sell for, I actually spend quite a bit more time with the founders, you know, they're people at the end of the day. Most processes focus on the business and the metrics, but not on the personality that sits behind the business. You know, and having spent lots and lots of time with owner managers that have, you know, built this baby that they're then going to go and sell to somebody else. It's a really emotional decision. So what I also did the start of last year was embarked on an exec coaching qualification. Because one of the things that I really wanted to do was 
I guess, invest a bit more time understanding what, what made people tick and um, how to ask better questions, how to be a better listener, but also how to help people to understand how they could become higher performers in, in whatever role they were in. Because I felt that was really relevant to the process of exit, you know, and that's a really core part of the consideration is, you know, what's the driver for you as an entrepreneur, as a business owner to do what you're doing today? And what would be the driver and the justification to go and sell that business to somebody else? And often it's way more than just money. For a lot of people, it's about continuing the legacy. It's about looking after the existing employees. And it's also about thinking about what they're going to do after the deal and what, what that means for their own personal identity as well. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So I know something Guy and Gary have talked about and we've called on previous podcasts is not necessarily to think about a date and a figure, but actually what's the lifestyle that's going to support that and what do you need to do afterwards? And how do you fill that hole, I suppose, as well? Because post-exit, you've suddenly lost that baby, haven't you, that, that you've spent years kind of nurturing. So in terms of how you work with entrepreneurs or founders, how does that work? Is it a virtual service? What types of work would you do with them? I prefer to work in person. I do obviously work, you know, hybrid, but I generally have, you know, fairly regular in-person meetings. It normally involves some form of board involvement as well. But the typically the first piece of work that I do where it's really exit ready focused is to help them to map out the market from a mergers and acquisitions perspective, from an M&A perspective. I go and look at their models, spend a bit of time understanding who they are, what they do, and then go and look at what private company transactions have happened in their space. It can be quite a complex and you have to th- process, and you have to think quite naturally a lot of the time around, you know, what, what can we see as being comparable? The key thing that I'm looking for there is, is there investor interest and activity in their market? Is there transactional activity in their market? And is there anything that we can learn from those transactions, particularly if there's de- development capital, so VC money going into their sector? Because often what that process yields is one, an understanding of who's active in their own market. And, and if you're kind of operating in a, in a bit of a bubble and your head's down working on the business, you're not necessarily as aware of what's going on and what your competitors are doing. Although most businesses are really good at competitor analysis, it, it helps to kind of broaden the scope of understanding of you know what's going on in the wider industry that, that you're operating in. It also helps you to understand if there's development capital going into other models that are in your space, what's the development capital going into support? And therefore, how is that sector developing? How is it progressing? What kind of innovation is there? And from that, what you can often do is start to map out value drivers. So what's going to take you from a five times business to a 10 times business based on the analysis of those transactions? And also, what kind of things can you do? Can you take from that analysis of transactions to inform your own strategy? Typically, I'm working with businesses at least 12 months before they need to exit. Uh, if it's any less than that, I'm, I'm not the right person to be working with them. They probably just need a straight, a straight corporate finance advisor that's going to manage a process. Um, if, if they've got kind of the, 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 the longevity ahead of making any kind of decision around exit, they can do a huge amount to make sure that they are right at the top of the value chain. But more importantly, they can start to build relationships with some of those investors that we've identified as part of that process or, or with strategic buyers and sort of proactively build those relationships. So 
you know, it's, it's the same as, you know, when you go to a job interview, you're, you're looking at whether the organizational fit is right for you as well as, as whether them seeing if, you know, you're the right person for the job. That's the same thing as when you call in an investor, you know, are they, are they going to be able to meet your own objectives and thinking back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, in legacy, are they going to look after the staff? What's the culture? What kind of ethos do they have? And, and, and how can you diligence that? So that the, the more time that you've got, to understand who the players are in the market, the more time you've got to do your research around them and find a partner that feels like a real true fit. What that might translate to is that's not the partner that's going to pay the highest price, but it's the partner that's going to give you the, the, the optimal outcome and help to meet all your objectives. Well, thank you. It's really interesting. So do you feel that 12, you said you work with founders about 12 months before exit. So it's 12 months, kind of the optimal length of time to do that research piece, identify those potential investors and then start building those relationships? I mean, that's, it, it's sort of how long is a piece of string because mm-hmm. it, it depends on how, you know, how engaged the team are. So, some teams I work with, they genuinely don't want to sell. They just want to know that they're building something of value. So it's, it's more of a strategic piece than a, you know, let, let's go and find the buyer for the business. With others, it's, it is very much, you know, we've, we've got these these kind of cliffhangers that we need to meet, you know, there might be shareholders that absolutely need cash out, you know, if there's existing stakeholders, if existing investors in the business and they're getting to the end of their fund, there may well be, you know, a, a real need for that, for that investor to get a return. So I'd say 12 months is a, is a good period of time to be able to make those changes. But, you know, some of the businesses that I work with, I, I can see me working with them over a longer period of time. I think the key thing in that is, it's a dynamic and kind of intuitive process. You know, you you don't do you don't do a report and it stops there. You're constantly kind of reviewing the market, constantly kind of monitoring what's going on and what's impacting on multiples and you know, and and, and obviously, you know, what we've all seen in the last couple of years through the pandemic and Brexit is, you know, the, the world's turned upside down on its head, isn't it? And so you've got to constantly react to how that translates to particularly institutional investor. You must be an expert on so many different industries and markets now if you have to do all of that research with, with the different businesses that that you work for I was just thinking up oh, you'll be you might become my go-to person for <laughs> any of my uh, new market <laughs> questions that I have yeah I mean I don't I don't think any advisors are, are experts and you know I don't think any investors are experts in the market I think what what advisors and investors do really really well is understand the key value drivers so they can they, they can often very, very quickly condense, you know, what are the value drivers? What, what is going to deliver me the highest return? At the end of the day, the management teams, they're the experts, they're the people who, who are able to deliver on that strategy. I think it's more the, it's more the kind of signposting to say, look, you know, if you're here right now, and sometimes it's, it's pointing out what is probably quite obvious to the management team, but they don't have the time to focus strategically on that. One of the really common things I find with businesses when I start working with them is, you know, we do that value drivers piece and, and I say, look, you know, if you do these three things, then you're going to, you're going to move the needle from X to Y and that's going to be quite significant. And they'll often say, oh, okay, well, we, we've already been looking at, you know, two of those things and we've just never really committed to them. And often it's because they just don't know if it's worth the time and resources to, you know, to really go all out in it. So what it can often do is just really crystallize the strategy and, and give a lot more confidence around the areas to invest in. Thank you. No, it's really interesting. So in terms of exit, you mentioned, you know, some people aren't thinking about an exit and there's different scenarios. What are kind of some of the key things you would advise considering when for a founder that is 
starting to think about their exit? You could go theoretical right down to practical. The theoretical is, is some of the things that we were talking about before, you know, why are you building the business? Is it, is it to sustain a lifestyle? Is it to create an impact? Or is it, you know, to build sand, go live on the beach? You know, they're kind of the big picture things. And, and, you know, they're the kind of things that you need to be pretty clear right from the outset, because that is very much going to dictate the model that you, that you drive or that you need to drive in the business. When you get a bit, a bit closer to thinking about actually, you know, exiting and, and planning for it, I would suggest it's things like, you know, who's going to manage this process in the business because it's a full-time job, you know, as, as frustrating as it is, it will take a significant amount of management time out of the business. So you've got to be all over your numbers. You've got to be all over your MI. You've got to be absolutely crystal clear about how to present your USP. And you've got to be very confident in talking to lots of different potential buyers and giving them a consistent story around what the business is and does and where its value lies. The other kind of key thing is how confident you are that whichever advisors you've chosen are the right advisors to work with. Um, and that can make a massive difference to success. For me, the most valuable thing you can do when you're approaching an exit is really start to develop out your network. Be open-minded about talking to you know, investors that look relevant. Be open-minded about receiving approaches from advisors. You know, don't just use someone that someone, you know, someone down the pub's recommended or someone that, you know, through a friend has recommended. Because whilst they might be a good advisor, they might not know anything about your space. And so I, I would certainly say that finding somebody who understands the sector or at the very least understands whatever type of buyer is you're trying to sell to, they understand the kind of the fundamentals around that. Okay, thank you. So in terms of entrepreneurs, founders that are looking or thinking about an exit, what are the things that they're mainly worried about, do you think? Have they considered some of these things that you're talking about around personal fit and what their overall objectives are or what what are the concerns that they would mainly have with you in those first conversations? It ranges. Some, some, you know, ranges from the kind of head in the sand through to their overthinking. But I'd say some really common ones is, you know, the common concerns is that they, they don't feel like they know enough about it and therefore they just haven't spent enough time thinking about it because they don't know where to start, which you know, which is absolutely fair enough. Why would you know anything about that? Mm. The other kind of big um, thing that I talk, talked about in one of my blogs is is value paranoia. So if I sell now, am I selling at the right price? You know, am I, am I leaving too much on the table? If somebody else sees, you know, if I get a really high offer, can somebody else see something that I can't and I'm walking away too soon? It's that kind of when is the right time to buy the bullet and just... And just it's like the housing market, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely... Uh, it's a scary time. But again, there's things that you can do to mitigate that value paranoia. And um, particularly if you're doing proactive kind of market research around, you know, what's the prevailing, prevailing multiples in the space and, and being in control of, you know, what you think your business is worth. And therefore, when you receive an offer, whether that's, whether that's a good offer or not and having that confidence around it. The other really common concern is just fear of a bad experience. So, you know, don't, don't know what I'm walking into, don't know what to expect from it. Also don't know how, probably don't know how to engage with professional advisors. And so there's this natural cynicism, which I think is very healthy, but sometimes it can, it can go the other way where there's just a complete lack of trust. And that can sometimes mean that the entrepreneurs are too closed in terms of being able to find the right help. Okay. No, that's really interesting. It is interesting. We've done, we did something recently, one of our previous podcasts around business valuation. A lot of the entrepreneurs and founders we work with 
really struggle to put the right valuation on the business and know how much equity they want to give away in those kind of earlier investment rounds and just try to talk through kind of some of the practicalities around that. But there was certainly a lot of feedback around hadn't entered into that process because felt like there was a load of horror stories out there. And obviously people love to share the the horror story. So it must be very reassuring to have somebody like you in the business that's kind of walk them through that process. I suppose the kind of final question for me really was obviously, Charlotte, you've worked with a, a huge range of founders and entrepreneurs, you know, across all scales. What uh, just what's some of the key advice that you would give to entrepreneurs today? I guess it goes back to that kind of coaching focus that I that I now have, um, which I tend to kind of walk into most most of my client relationships with, you know, as kind of a first priority is if a founder isn't happy, then the business probably isn't going to thrive. And so being really clear about what your what your personal brand is, you know, what what are your personal drivers, motivations, aspirations? And and when you understand those, you know, have you built a business that's fulfilling those? And if you have and it's no longer there, how do you get back to that point? And how do you make sure that you retain that as you build the business over time? You know, and you grow the team, how do you make sure you're personally in a role? That you really enjoy. It's I think it's such a common thing with with owner managed businesses for them to want to exit because they're just overwhelmed and it's just they you know they're trying to do everything and they just feel like they're not enjoying it anymore. And there's loads of things that you can do you know before rushing for an exit because you feel like you're at your capacity or you've you've reached your limit of capability. So yeah, I think doing that early work on yourself and your own personal development is 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 pretty key. Thank you. No, it's really interesting. I think particularly for for entrepreneurs, there is that feeling that they have to wear many hats, but some of those hats just don't fit their personal strengths or make them really unhappy. But like you say, exit isn't a reason to do that. There are other there are other things you can do to to change some of that. So that's really interesting. Thank you. Thanks very much, Charlotte. It was really interesting today. We haven't covered a topic around kind of exit readiness and the different scenarios and, and how people like yourself are there to help. So we'll pop a link to your business page as well. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Is the should we put uh, probably put via LinkedIn? Yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. So we'll pop we'll pop a link to your LinkedIn in the um, description as well. So thanks everybody. That was really interesting. Hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll be back next week with a different topic. And don't forget, obviously, we do have the EHE community for you to sign up to if you want to receive any more information around the things that we've talked about today. Thanks, Charlotte. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Nairi. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.